Welcome to Managing Marketing and today I'm in Singapore. The rain has uh, stopped and the uh, hopefully yep. the skies are clearing and I'm sitting down with Dominic Powers who's the CEO of Control Shift. Good Welcome morning. Dominic. Thank you. Welcome to Singapore. Well thank you very much. What brings you to Singapore? What brings me to Singapore? Each uh, day. Each day it's a journey to change an industry I think that needs disruption and Singapore is probably a great place to do it for Southeast Asia. We're, we're at the forefront I think of a media industry that is struggling to find its new direction and struggling to come to terms with the new demands of the brands that they work for. So this is specifically around programmatic media buying isn't it? It's about media buying that can be done in an automated way. I think programmatic has a, a definition which it's clinging to, which goes back to its early days, 2005, 2006, which was about biddable media. Yeah, real-time bidding. Real-time media, but still biddable. Yeah. And I think as we move forward, as we start looking at other channels like OTT, like digital out of home, you're still gonna have a means by which you want to buy these directly and automated, but they're not necessarily going to be biddable. So for us, it's about looking at the landscape of audiences, consumers that you want to reach, seeing how they can be reached effectively and, and gluing all the pieces together to allow you to do that frictionlessly. Now, you would say, because you know, I remember early on hearing about programmatic media, and they made it seem like it was going to be like the stock exchange for media that it would be allow people to trade in real time and buy and yep. sell. So you'd have the publishers being able to sell yep. inventory, the advertisers, so demand, demand and supply side. Yep. And the stock exchange is seen as incredibly efficient and transparent. Where did the media version of that go wrong, do you think? Because all we hear about is you know lack of transparency and fragmentation and yep. confusion and distrust. So this is a question that comes up quite often and even over a year ago I was on a panel at Mumbrella 360, we were hosting a panel actually around transparency in the media industry and I think if you compare the financial services industry and you compare the media industry, there's one thing that's missing and I'm not saying it's right or wrong but it's regulation. And if you look at the media industry, I think if you look at programmatic specifically, we haven't been particularly good at self-regulating mm -hmm. and that has allowed the industry to become murky, to have middle people between the demand and the supply that are shaving bits of the dollar as it goes through. Some <laughs> collectively, they may be taking a small bit each, but collectively, you know, it, can it can be, be significant. Yeah. In our own research and research you see out there, you know, a brand can put a dollar in and as little as 30 cents can end up at the publisher. Now some of that is is valid, it's legitimate, it's money that's providing real service but I think where the brands have had issues is some of that has been murky, it's been black boxed and you know, I won't directly say who's to blame for that but no they, know, they know who they are and yeah. uh, they know that the industry's got to change because that murkiness has got to disappear. Now is regulation the right thing? Probably not. But is self-management, self-regulation, 
yes, it's got to be. And so it's about now everybody saying, right, we may have done some dirty things in the past, but now we're clean. And you'll see a bunch of the media agencies, a bunch of the technology providers who are starting to get into these relationships that are open, transparent, all the way through, so that a brand knows exactly how much they're paying. And whether that's a brand's negotiations with their media agency around how they're serviced and what they pay for that servicing, or whether it's at the tech level where the, the brands are actually uh, contracting directly with the tech or data providers themselves, so they get that transparent cost. They negotiate it themselves, rather than being provided in that black box. Because one of the things, other things that is missing is uh, that stock exchanges actually tell you in real time what the value of the, and volume of transactions that are happening. They are absolutely transparent in that they tell you at the moment these shares will sell for this amount and buy at this amount and that this is the volume that's been transacted. So it is completely transparent. It is, but if you think about it, there's still broker's fees in there and brokers charge different fees if you're a retail investor. Mm -hmm. So if you're not in the retail part of it, yes, it's far more transparent and you know what you're getting, but if you're retail and that's what you have. So I suppose if you're looking at the brands, they're very much like the retailers going in because mm. they're not they're not buying en masse, whereas you get some of the agencies, for example, do pre-buy, yeah. they buy in advance and they arbitrage, just like is done in the financial services industry. So there are similarities, there's differences. Uh, would our industry go that far? I just don't think at the moment there's the dollars in it and the willingness to make it that transparent at the moment. So we've got to start small. Um, you mean in Singapore or globally? I think well, if you look at the financial services industry and you look at the the media industry as a whole, you look at programmatic. You know there are multiple zeros of difference in scale yes. in US dollars. Yeah, true. So there's there's that you've got to take into consideration. Yeah, well, and that's an interesting point because uh, I was talking with SMI, who I know are not in Singapore. Yeah. Um, they're in Australia, the US, or North America, and and the UK. And they say programmatic as a percentage of all media trading is relatively small. And yet you read trade media where people are talking it up and saying it's heading towards 50% of all trades. But you have to read the fine detail because they're talking about a particular set. Yeah. I mean, you've you've got various numbers that are put out there and the ranges we see are anywhere between it being 60 to $70 billion globally 2020, so next year, with 50% of that being in North America. But if you look at the rate at which digital media is growing, and you look at the rate at which programmatic, in its broader term, being stuff that can be bought in an automated way, is growing, it is going to become a larger and larger part of digital media. There is really no reason why the inefficiencies that currently exist in the programmatic space or in digital media buying as a whole should continue. Digital media, a large chunk of it, when it's direct from agency to to publisher or brand to publisher, is still bought with physical IOs, insertion orders, Mm. that are printed and signed (laughs) and scanned or faxed. And that is how a large majority of this $400 billion industry exists. Yeah, it's still so quaint, isn't it? It's quaint. These are some of the problems that we're trying to fix. Six, seven years ago, 
we saw the Lumascape. And the Lumascape, if you don't know it, obviously is a, a view that's put out by Luma in North America, which just shows all of the companies that are in some shape or form involved in, involved in the advertising technology space, yeah. whether they're DSPs, DMPs, EdTech, Martech, EdTech, Martech, all yeah. of that. And we had a vision that the industry would be this complicated because very early on we saw how things were becoming siloed very quickly with the different DSPs, the different DMPs. And we just knew that it would it would lead to a point where you've got these traders, inverted commas, who are buying the media, who ultimately are the real knowledge workers of the industry, who know what's happening at the coalface, are going to spend more time learning platforms, logging into platforms, logging out of platforms, than actually physically working with the brands, working within their agencies to actually drive strategic thinking and insights that make them more efficient. And we produced a, a regional survey, actually we touched touched the UK and North America that we put out, mm. that focused purely on the traders, because these are the guys that are really... I remember saying that report. In industry. Yeah. And what we saw was that 40% or more of traders are touching five or more platforms a day to do their yeah. job. Crazy. 20% or more are touching eight or more platforms. So that's Google, Facebook, and yeah. it's then the ad server, it's the DMP, it's various different... DSPs they'll be using, uh, they may be plugging into reports from certain platforms that don't allow them to buy themselves and they just download the report. So if you look at people that are working in that industry, there's no wonder they only last 18 months. <laughs> and we, we were talking to one of the very large uh, global media companies and they were just sharing with us this amazing insight how the burnout rate for their traders is 18 months. But they said that the thing that's just shocking and saddening for them is they invest this time and energy training these guys and they do 18 months and they don't just leave the agency, they leave the industry, the industry completely. They've had, enough. They've had enough after 18 months. So again, that should tell the agencies that something is fundamentally wrong with the way this is managed. And so this is where we're coming in and we've been building. We being control shift. We being control shift. We've been on this journey to to defragment this industry for a while, but we had to wait till the time was right. Now, I know the Lunarscape that you mentioned yeah. isn't just programmatic yes, media, exactly. it's all MarTech, uh, um, ad, yep. ad tech, and it was the, uh, they made a big thing of they'd hit 5,000 yeah. plus uh, potential suppliers yeah. in that space. I remember because it became impossible to read. Yes. It just so looked like someone had sprayed yeah. colour onto it. Yeah. But even then, in the space that you're focusing on, yeah. there is still a significant amount of fragmentation. There's multiple platforms, and as you yeah. say, they're increasingly starting to align themselves into silos, aren't yeah. they? Yeah. So that it doesn't allow for cross-platform trading. It, cross-platform trading, I think inverted commas there, it doesn't. And so what we provide, we pre-evaluate platforms. So we have built a platform in the hub that is an open architecture, API-driven. And so we've gone out over the past eight years and really pre-evaluated the platforms that we see as being market leaders, being able to provide something different, not just the me-tos. And so we've integrated now 11 platforms that we bring into our UI that allow you to manage your workflows, to build campaigns, to report and see it all in one UI. And not all of these platforms are created the same. They'll have different audiences, uh, they'll have different performance 
levels in different markets, depending on the audiences. And so we're giving our clients the ability to see that in a holistic way. And if they then want to move money, let's just say out of Google and move it into AppNexus, MediaMath or, yeah. or Adobe, they can do that without logging into the underlying platform. Yeah. So we have a way that they can just simply put the percentage of media they want and we do the push. So they can actually start to have a view of how they're working across the platforms. Now, not many brands are going to be bidding on the same audiences in two separate demand-side platforms because they'll be bidding against themselves, ultimately. Yeah. <laughs> but what they're going to be doing is perhaps looking at different audiences, looking at them in different platforms, and moving money where it makes sense to drive overall performance. Especially for a particular market of brief or brand brief, yeah. you would want to be able to explore as many options Absolutely. in defining what's the best way of investing your money. I think that's important when you also look at how how stilted our industry is in terms of developing the way that media is bought. As I mentioned, we have the insertion orders, but we also have this concept of a media plan. And we're of the very strong opinion that a media plan is only as good as the second it's signed off on, because then the moment you put it out into the wild of the programmatic space, you're actually then trading based on the insights and actually what's happening. So you may have decided that your media plan looks like X percent in Facebook, X percent in Google, X percent in MediaMath, X percent in, in Tube Mobile. But by the end of the run yeah, of that media plan, different. it's going to be completely different. Well, and, and that's if the client, the advertiser, is uh, paying and investing in their agency constantly optimizing. And I say if, because so many times when we've been brought in to look at a client media agency relationship, it's been squeezed down, the fee has been squeezed down by procurement or whoever, to the point that the agency doesn't have the resources to be optimized. And so a spend is happening in a traditional way. You know, like you would plan a media plan for TV, you would then go out and buy it and it would run. And then at the end of that campaign, you would then go back and see how well it performed. And I think a lot of marketers don't realise that they're missing out on the opportunity with their digital investment that it can be constantly optimised. That if something in the pl- the original plan is not working, then change it and look for what does work better. And I think if we just take one giant leap up a level, we've got an industry that's had a lot of pressure where brands or their procurement organizations have been putting huge amounts of pressure on digital and programmatic. And what we've seen is you're in a place where a brand, whether they're an e-commerce brand, whether they're a retail brand, they come to you and say, we want the cheapest cost per X. The cheapest cost per lead, the cheapest mm. cost per download. Impression. Impression, whatever they're looking for. But there is no concept in their mind, or very few have that concept in their mind, of what the lifetime value is. Yeah. And so what this done is completely devalue programmatic in its place in a broader ecosystem. And again, this is one of the areas that we talk about a lot. Digital transformation, mm. you know, a trillion dollar industry globally. And you never well, you hardly ever in the same breath hear programmatic spoken about in digital transformation. Yet it is one of the only pieces that if you're thinking about the money that's invested in the websites in transforming businesses that can actually touch a consumer at every single point of that consumer journey 
if you're trying to ultimately sell a product to. And very few brands, very few consulting companies actually see this or get it. There's a massive bridge between activities that happen in acquisition, the data that's created in acquisition, mm -hmm. and then the data and the insights that are created through CRM and the building of customer journeys through existing customers. And, and look, it's interesting because I think Adobe is a good example of that. You know, you've got modules that you can buy. You can buy the, you know, the insights module and then the customer experience and management module. And then there's the ad module. They've and bought the, some great products. Yeah, but, but it, even the way they package it, it's you buy modules. Yes. Except that, in actual fact, a total digital transformation would usually involve all of those modules. You know? And, and so I guess that's what they're trying to get to, except so, so many times we end up with clients that have got, well, we're using Salesforce for this, and then we've got Adobe for this, and then, and, you know, they've ended up again in the 21st century with all these legacy systems that supposedly, and all based on having APIs that will help them talk to each other, but almost never do. And again, it's a product of just how I think, the digital, broader digital industry has grown. Focus was placed on point solutions that solved a particular problem. And these have proliferated across the various problem areas, whether it's website traffic tracking, whether it's providing an e-commerce platform that enables you to do stuff, whether it's a programmatic platform, whether it's an email CRM platform. And they've grown and great businesses have been built. The vision has been there to create an end-to-end -end solution. Mm. But because these platforms have been built with different end goals in mind, while they may have APIs, it's very difficult for these to talk together in the way that you may envisage it to happen. Mm. And if we really break apart everything that's in the industry, you've almost got to start at the beginning and architect something completely end-to-end. -end. Well, that is the way to develop a solution, is actually define the whole problem. Exactly and then work out the stages. Uh, that, that makes me suddenly think the name control shift. What, do you know where that came from? Absolutely know where that came from. So, Because uh, I, like, I like the fact, take control and shift the way you're doing something is a sort of literal interpretation. Very close. It was really about shifting control back to the true valued constituents in our market. So shifting control back to the advertisers who are spending the money, shifting control back to the, okay. the publishers, but also in the same sense, giving control back to intermediaries, whoever they are, so they can do things in a transparent way and kind of recreate what they're doing. In a more effective, more effective and efficient way, way efficient, of working. Absolutely. And for us, it's all about efficiency. And so Actually, I was just having a conversation. So, sorry, before, yeah. you, before you go yeah. on. Um, so, so it's not the old Windows machine where you go Control-Shift-Delete and control restart the whole thing? Control-Alt-Delete. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we did have some jokes in the very early days from, from close friends in the industry who said, you better be careful. You know, one key and you're gone. Um, well, it's just a restart. Maybe that's actually what the industry needs, needs is yeah. a restart. Needs a rethink, for sure. Rather than band-aiding it all together. Band-Aids never last, that's mm. the problem. And I think that's, again, where we sit, we're trying to, to do it beyond it being a Band-Aid by working with platforms that do have APIs and finding mm. 
finding how we can connect them in a layer itself that's completely open. Mm. And that's how we want to work with them, which is why, as I said earlier, we pre-evaluate, we make sure they actually do what they say on the tin, and then we can bring that richness into our platform so that they have a place where they can be successful too. It's interesting how many platforms have APIs that have no map for what that API looks like so that you can actually integrate the two together. And uh, I know uh, a few of my uh, developer friends always say, get your own map and hand it to the other person to match yours rather than ever try and match theirs because it never works. When we started on this journey seven, eight years ago, nobody really understood what we were trying to build. And so they would just give us their APIs and they would give us what they thought we needed, what we wanted, and we'd then spend months trying to say, no, we need this, we need that. And as we've gone along this journey, we've got to a point now, without being arrogant, that we now have platforms coming to us saying, we'd like to be integrated. And we go, here is our basic API document. If you can't do these 10 things, come back to us when you can. (laughs) (laughs) You have to do that because, you know, I've seen projects that have just gone on and on and on because, you know, it's the easiest thing to say. You know, it's the old three-letter acronym, API. But to actually make two platforms completely align in their sharing of data and information can be a really difficult job. It can. Because everyone labels things differently. You know, they have different ways of different formats. So you're getting two two platforms to talk to each other. And even you're right, the nomenclature, the way they yeah. they obviously call things. And as we look at the 11 platforms we've integrated, they're in the same industry, they're in the same lunascape, but they use different ways of calling things. Yeah. So one of the biggest jobs that we had to do was to create our own nomenclature that could then be used across all these platforms. And that's some of the mapping that we actually do is so if we bring in new platforms or if new platforms emerge in the market, traders, people working in the industry, don't have to learn a new workflow, new nomenclature. Mm. If it's integrated with us, we've standardized it to achieve the same thing. And so that, that was a big achievement for us. And to your point about integrations, if we don't have the right API access, and we do have some clients that tell us we want you to integrate this platform so we'll start that journey, it can take three, four months, mm. five months to get an integration only half decent. But if we have the right documentation, we can do an integration of six to eight weeks. I know um, for us, it's uh, the, the most obvious demonstration of this is the number of times in a pitch, mm-hmm. a media agency will say, yes, yes, uh, Mr. Client, Ms., Ms., Ms. Client, we will have a complete dashboard ready for you on within a month of being appointed. Yeah. And then six months later, the client's still going, where's my dashboard? Because, you know, often those dashboards are pulling data from many different sources. And so while the agency may have a dashboard application or platform to actually integrate that, and especially if they're then pulling first-party data from the client, there's a whole lot of hell just involved in that, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. Again, this is a really interesting industry. I have a lot of respect for the media agencies, the creative agencies. They've done some great work, but what's not at their core typically is a technology DNA. No. And so when they they go out to try and build things, they, they don't necessarily come at it the right way. The outcomes aren't what the input meant it to be. And we've sat in front of pretty much all of the agency networks now in the past six to eight months. 
And there is a phrase that has struck me over and over again that we get 15 to 20 minutes into a demo of the hub. And this is from senior agency executives. They stop, they go, just hold it a second. Is this real? <laughs> <laughs> and it's then followed by a statement that goes something like this. We've been trying to build something like this for Four, five yeah. years and we just haven't succeeded. So, so here's the part that's missing. Because yeah. I've worked with and in uh, technology companies. And the bit that's missing is agencies are inclined to solve an immediate problem. Yeah. Like their whole reason for being is a client comes along with a problem, they will have the solution or they'll create it very quickly. Yes. A technology company, good technology companies, don't solve problems, they actually create a network or a platform or something to make things work more efficiently. And so they sit down and they look at what's the whole journey. Whereas agencies are used to companies, marketers, clients coming along and going, I've got a problem here, and they go, well, we'll solve that. But there's no long-term view of, well, first of all, if I solve that, what's the implications? What are going to be the unseen follow-ons that will happen It's from those that? unseen, and to terribly paraphrase Steve Jobs, you can't rely on a consumer or a client to tell you what you should build them. Yeah. You should know the problem that you're trying to solve, and that problem can be a year in the future, two years in the future. It can be a problem that continuously moves, continuously moves. So we need to make sure that as we're in market that we're talking to as many of the constituents as possible to to see where their thought process is and to try and correct them or change them and just make sure that we're ahead of what we're doing. We yeah. are, without sounding arrogant, we're already eight years ahead of the market. We've just been building this in stealth for the past eight years mm. and you know, there wasn't enough pain in the market. There was a lot of rhetoric from, from the brand some from the agencies, the small agencies, but now in the past kind of six to eight months, it's started to move towards something where action is really being taken. You know, brands are in housing. Yeah. They know they want control. They know they want to own all of that programmatic deep data and insight that before was lost in the black box of the mm. agencies that was just presented in dashboards. So it, it's a great time for the industry now, I think. And I think what we're going to see in that next 12 to 18 months is a complete shift of the way that media agencies, creative agencies actually drive value in what they do for the brands. They, it's going to be a phoenix moment for them, I think. We may see some changes in the financials of them, but it's going to be a phoenix moment. You mentioned in-housing, and it's certainly something that we've been watching carefully. You know, I think a lot of the in-housing that we hear and read about in the US is the content side. Yep. Because most of the reports we get about marketers, mm. clients, taking media buying and planning in-house, it's much more complicated, isn't it? And there are many more Absolutely. challenges related to that. Desire and reality are two very different things. Mm. And for us, we're not out there saying as to brands, you have to in-house, you should in-house. Because it involves a huge amount of change management. Mm. It involves a huge amount of upskilling. It involves building teams that you've never had in-house, that you've never had to manage before, yeah. around things that you maybe don't know much about. So as we go out and we talk to the brands, we look at it and say, do you really want to build this in-house and manage those skill sets and have the responsibility? Or do you maybe want a hybrid model? And the hybrid model is you own the technology, you take control of that, but you give the keys to an agency that you trust, yeah. an agency you have a relationship, 
they run it for you. No longer is it a black box. It's a complete white box. You have access yourself. You can see how money is being spent in real time. You have your own dashboards. And if that relationship breaks down, goes through review, yeah, three gets involved <laughs> and it gets spun out, you still own it. You take the keys away. You give them to your next agency. And all of that history, all of that insight, yeah. all of those media plans, going back as many years as you've been doing it, are available. It's a smart with. solution because it means that you get the best of both worlds. You, you get your platform that's yours and the data resides in it. So yep. all, all of your first party data, you can make yep. sure that it's uh, properly protected <coughs> and utilised. Um, you've got the access to smart people and you don't have the HR human resources issues of you know dealing with trying to attract those people, um, get them to stay with you, yeah. and um, yeah, I think that's a great idea. And for us, it's important because we've you know we've come from a place where we had our own services business, but we divested that, and we did that for a very specific reason because, as I said, the agencies have a huge amount of value they can add, and we don't want to detract from that. So we're there to be friends with everybody with the brands and the agencies and if the agencies are in a position where they've transformed their business model to be able to support transparently a brand that wants to take programmatic and media buying in-house, then they've got a great path to the future. And if they can build a charging model that the brand respects, that works well, then that future's got a long way to go. Well that's interesting, uh, friends to everyone, because uh, I'd say at Trendy P3 we're more like the grit in the oyster. It may irritate the hell out of it, but uh, hopefully we produce some pearls. How, how do you drive change? Because people are resistant to change. It takes time, I'll be honest. This is, while well, we've been on this journey eight years building the platform, we've only been taking it to market for the last six to eight months in a you know, truly pressured way. And it is that change, even within the agencies, how they change the way they work. And within brands, you can imagine that's a tenfold way of doing things. And so what you've got to be able to provide is the transparency, not just around pricing and platform, but around how you're going to take them on the journey, to show them that you have the deep experience, the deep knowledge of, of managing this as a workflow, and are able to then transfer knowledge. Mm. And that's one of the biggest pieces, and I'm very firm on the team that we're not out there just trying to sell platform. Mm. We've all seen that fail in the industry. We've seen people pay millions of dollars for platforms, whether it was the old CRM platforms, whether it's you know, yeah. e-commerce platforms, whether it's, they're sold and they ultimately fail because there's no journey of transformation. And so we've got to be with them on that to understand how it's going to be successful. In that it's also the fact that the solution is not the platform alone. Yeah. The solution is actually the people using yes. the platform uh, actually makes it successful. Absolutely. Because you've got to have the knowledge of what it means to buy and sell media. Mm -hmm. Now that being said, you know, obviously the next step, and you know, it, it's not a big jump for us, we're already doing this in beta, is automated trading. And because we have all this data, because we have all this insight, because we have this log level information, we're already predicting what your campaigns will be seven days out based on the objectives you want to achieve. So to then take that into an auto trader, which we've now done in alpha internally, it's a really interesting step. So this is machine learning, or are you going to call it artificial intelligence? We don't like to use the words artificial intelligence because it is machine learning. Artificial intelligence to us is something that has a very specific definition that we are not at at the moment. Mm. And 
Well, the world's not out. Not out. And I would question anybody in the marketing space, the martech, the ad tech space, that says they have true AI. It's questionable. I, I think, think it's one of those media media terms that gets attention, which is why people use it. It raises valuations and investments. So there yeah, we go. Because everyone jumps on everyone board. Jumps so we've been talking largely about the hub, haven't mm. we? When you talk about the platform, mm. you're talking about the hub, the lab. What's sure. your lab? So the lab is an integral, integral part of what we do at Control Shift, and the lab is where our data scientists sit. And we have data scientists that all they do every day is to focus on building models that ultimately drive some kind of performance lift or drive some value to what we're doing with clients, whether that's in the hub itself, and sometimes there's components that they build in isolation that we then plug in. So the performance predictor was one of those. This was an off-platform algorithm that we built that then got to a level where we said, right, this is working really, really well. Let's now productize that and put it in. Okay. But we're also at a place So it's an innovation lab. It's an innovation lab. Yep. Focusing primarily around stuff that's driven by data, but also working on client-specific projects as well. Okay. So we have a, a couple of clients that use the platform but have, have businesses that are evolving in very different directions where the hub is a core part of it, but they have all these other components that they're wanting us to plug into and data science and machine learning is part of that. So our teams will work with them as well to help build out particular models uh, around anything from creative optimization, creative production, it, using machine learning, to ways to generate reports and visualizations using machine learning. So it really is yeah, an innovation lab of, of super smart guys, far smarter than myself, multiple PhDs who you know, I get lost within 20 minutes of a conversation, but. You just nod. I just nod. Yeah, knowingly. <laughs> yeah, but yes. Um, look, that's been great. Uh, unfortunately, we've run out of time. But uh, great to talk Dominic, to you. thanks for uh, making the time to sit down. It's now pouring with rain again. It is. I must be in Singapore. <laughs> and it's rainy season. So yeah, <laughs> exactly. So well, that's what happens when you come in the rainy season. Yeah. Uh, last uh, final question um, for you, and that is, you know. A lot of the uh, the media holding companies or the mm. holding companies uh, who have media are making a big thing about their still their own proprietary systems. Do you think we'll ever get to a unified approach to trading programmatically? Mm.